1: Or I've calmed down a little bit. I was yelling. I was yelling. What were you yelling about? Yeah, you know, I get a little fired up. Yeah, sometimes. I know you do. People should go back to the podcast if you want to hear me yelling. What set me off at about four thirty? What was the topic? Uh, school lunch. Okay. It was school lunch. Okay. Uh, mostly, like, there's an insistence by some that when you call call it free school lunch, that that is inaccurate. Mm. And of course it is because everything that we use that is taxpayer funded is is not free. It's maybe free to the end user. Yeah. But I feel like most people understand that. Yeah. Although it would be an interesting exercise if we had to insert taxpayer funded before everything we talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, if you think about it. So that's what that's what made me lo- gotcha. lose it. You talked to my friend Robbie. Did you do that interview with Robbie, the uh, Minnesota Ice? uh... No,
2: Ari did that one.
1: Ari did that. That's such a bummer. Our reporter. So uh, Robbie Harrell is the founder and CEO of Minnesota Ice. And they do the, uh, if you ever are at a bar and you have a a super clear ice cube, Mm -hmm. so clear you almost can't see it, that's Minnesota Pure and Clear Ice. That's one of his companies. Oh, cool. Um, But he also does sculptures. Yeah. Big sculptures. And they, they... I texted him today. I'm like, I hope you, like, what are you going to do with all that stuff? Because they made all these blocks to make uh, a a massive ice maze out at the Vikings uh, location. So the blocks are already made, you're saying? 350 tons of ice already made.
2: What do you do with it?
1: So he said he's going to try to... Try to hopefully use it for some fun, free community events. They yeah. can store it for a while. Yeah, good. But I'm curious about the Maple Grove ice castles.
2: Mm-hmm. Any any city's ice castles or you know, anything that depends on winter,
1: snow, yeah. ice, cold, all of it. I was talking to somebody about Hockey Day in Minnesota. Right. Which is in January. When That's is an hockey, outdoor event. When is it? It's, uh, I mean, the good news, it's January 25th.
2: Okay. It's in War Road, though.
1: It is in War Road. Yeah. Well, year.
2: that's a good sign. Good.
1: I feel like, but even uh, Paul was saying that northern Minnesota may not have snow. Right. This year. Um,
2: he also said this morning, that while there is snow expected in the early part of January, uh, the European model is suggesting that we are not going to go below zero
1: for the entire month of January. It's wild, right? Isn't that crazy? No. I- And I have mixed feelings on this, right? Because as a personal individual Mm -hmm. in one moment in time, I love it. It makes life easier. It It sure does. I I, know. I'm driving on Friday. Like, I'm glad that I'm not going to be driving through a snow or ice storm. Yeah. And and maybe tomorrow we'll get Paul or somebody on to talk about this. Because I know we're in this super El Nino Mm -hmm. cycle. And El Nino is part of the weather, right? Like, it's just this happens every once in a while. You get one of these years. I'm curious how much of this is the, the you know, warming, the mm-hmm. climate change, mm-hmm. and how much of this is it's just a weather cycle.
2: Just the odds. Right. We yeah.
1: just – it's the super El Nino. It's a very strong El Nino. And, yes, still the trends are what the trends are, but – I sometimes worry that we're quick to, like, put a climate answer yeah. on something that's that's weather, that weather happens. Right, yes. So I don't know. It, it's tricky. I just don't know. I'm not saying one way or the other. Right. That's why I want to bring somebody on who obviously is smarter than me.
2: Yeah, I just think it's a big conundrum because, yes, of course, we're kind of enjoying this easy start to winter and you don't have the hassle of the icy sidewalks and the driving and you know so nice but it's such a bummer for the businesses that depend on some snow and some cold and it feels a little weird it feels really weird it's going on too long
1: you look out the window and my uh, backyard lawn is green yeah, it's still green. Like I, Paul keeps saying, we're gonna have a brown Christmas. I'm like, oh boy, Ooh, might be green. Yours is green. You had weird... lots of little nice fertilizer. I really this had a year. great <laughs> yeah. It's a great, great season for the Darusha backyard. Let me tell you. Yeah, Laura, the Timberwolves are playing so well. Mm-hmm. It's been so fun. I love the wolves. Uh, and there's been an uh, maybe unexpected delight if you watch the television broadcast of the show. Because Bally Sports North, and I love Katie Storm, who is one of their uh, great sideline reporters. Yeah. And Katie just had her baby. Okay. She's a big, Katie's a big listener of our show. Nice. She's awesome. Her dad is Tom Emmer. Oh, okay. Um, and so Katie, who went to St. Cloud, did you go to school with Katie, Josh?
0: So I was a couple couple years late. I did meet her in person at a Be The Broadcaster event a couple uh, months ago. And it. she got her and I got to know each other pretty well, but yeah, she's, she's, she's awesome. She's great, yeah. So
1: there's this assistant coach for the Timberwolves who does these halftime interviews. His name is Micah Nori, and throughout uh, the NBA world right now, he's being called the Ted Lasso. Oh, great. Of NBA coaches. Listen to some of the snippets of him at halftime, right before the third quarter, uh, here from Bally Sports Story. <laughs> Love it! I love it. It's so good. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. I've I've seen some of these, and you're like, this has to be a bet.
2: Well, that's what I'm wondering. Is this just his personality, or is he kind of picking up on
1: the Ted Lasso funnies? There, there was some reporting from uh, Michael Grady, the play-by-play guy, and Jim Pete mm-hmm. that Micah's family gives him. Like a little, okay. like, hey, what if you try to work this in? <laughs> fun. So they, I love so that. So it's a little shout out to the family. Yeah. Uh, it's right ahead of the third quarter when he does that. So pretty fun stuff. I like it. We're, uh, we're watching more of those games on TV uh, because the team is playing, playing so well. Mm-hmm. It's fun. It's... They're at home tonight. Yep. So uh, downtown will be hopping. People have to get to these games a little earlier if you're a... Long suffering, long time Timberwolves fan. You're not used to having a twenty and five team, exactly, and a full a full house. Lots so. of demand. Yep. So pretty fun. That's uh, uh, that's not at home tonight, is it? No. Maybe tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? I think tomorrow. Lakers. I, I, the Lakers at the Timberwolves yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. night. Yep. Late game, eight p.m. Got it. Yeah. Tonight they're in Philly,
0: I think. Uh, They just were...
1: I think they're uh, 6 o'clock tonight uh, playing the 76ers. Um, I finished my Christmas shopping today. Great. That was exciting. Are you done? No. Well,
2: for the most part, things are still arriving that need to be wrapped. Mm. So I think Friday is going to be my wrapping extravaganza.
1: It seems that this year things are mostly, like, not as chaotic in the shipping world, right? Right. doesn't seem like it. I've had things where, like, they warn you and they seem to be showing up on time. Same with us. So that's that's great. Yep. Yep. A little surprising, Mm -hmm. but uh, I don't do a great job of keeping track of what I've ordered. Yeah. So... I may have more gifts arriving at the house for Alyssa. You should probably
2: check your email confirmations and then you might know. I feel like you can never uh, get too much for
1: your wife, right?
2: (laughs) Good answer, Jason. Thank you. She must be listening.
1: Hi, Uh, Alyssa. It's possible. (laughs) I just wanted that on the record. Um, There's a website called Outside that published a list of the worst national park reviews of the year. Mm. Have you ever noticed this if you do like a Google search of a lake or a national park? That because Google just recognizes it like a restaurant or a store or whatever, that you can give a review. Oh, I did not know that. Not for a park or a lake, no. I once I once did give a review of a lake. <laughs>
2: Which kind of what did you say?
1: It was kind of as a joke. I should I'll look it up. I'll look it up and find <laughs> out. I don't I don't remember. But it was a negative review.
2: Yeah. Too much <laughs> scum by the end of August. <laughs> uh,
1: so stupid. Like the, who does this, right? Where you're thinking you're like, you know what I do, what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna leave a negative review of this national park.
2: That just is part of the larger problem of allowing people to review everything in the land. Mm newspaper articles yeah everything it's it's just too much
1: it is interesting it's sort of annoying of uh you know you get asked for a survey on everything right i got asked to give my feedback to my trash hauler yeah like like, what's the feedback supposed to be like (sighs) thanks for picking up my trash like i don't know I I put it out in the morning and then it's gone. I feel real good about the service. Well,
2: if the city is in charge of it, they probably want to know if the company they've contracted with is on time, if you're not having any issues, that kind of stuff.
1: We have private uh, companies in Maple Grove. So I don't know. So here are some of the reviews. Yosemite National Park. Really annoying that it is the same way in and same way out. Scenery (laughs) is not breathtaking. Oh, come on. I need someone to explain to me the hype of this place. This place looks like any place with mountains and trees. Mm. <laughs> Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. Absolute horrible disappointment. There wasn't a single pickleball court inside.
2: Oh, please. These are not that real. was a
1: joke. That's got to be a joke. Great Smoky Mountains. Some falls slash streams had nothing but toddlers peeing and pooing in the water. That's probably true. <laughs> Can't say this is one of my fave national parks. No bear sightings, but that's not the park fault. Okay, mm. thanks for sharing that. Zion National Park in Utah. The mountains are beautiful, but most of the different formations look redundant to my untrained eye. Oh, well, goodness gracious me. <laughs> what must we do with you? Glacier National Park, Montana. Where are the glaciers? It was disappointing to stand at lookouts with glaciers in the distance and signage showing glaciers 50 years ago mm. near where I was standing. Yeah, one star. Like what? Yeah, yes. Glacier, you had 80 glaciers in 1850. Today there are 30. But.
2: What does that tell you?
1: Well, negative review. Sounds like false advertising. They call it Glacier <laughs> National Park. <laughs> Could you, I mean, what would it take for you to leave? Have you ever left, uh, like, a Google review of anything or a Yelp or a? Um, Maybe, I don't know.
2: Maybe when I've been asked for a review of something where you get a separate email after the fact.
1: Somebody will get. Yeah. uh, I I left a review when it was like somebody will get, like, they'll give these people a tip or something. Like, they'll get a bonus. And I was like, all right. Right. I'll do it. Yeah, me too. Uh, I've, I've left 33, 33 contributions, nine reviews, it says, but I don't know how to see them Hmm. on the, it's maybe for the best because no one, no one needs to know what, what review I left of a, of a lake. It was a false advertisement issue. That's what I was mad about, as I recall, but it, it was, it was a joke.
2: Hopefully somebody actually read it. That's right.
1: Uh, Laura, have a great, you're here tomorrow, right? I am here all week. Yep. All right. Very good. I'll see you tomorrow. There goes Laura Oaks. Does a great job with us on the news and kind enough to uh, mess around with us a little bit here at 510 every day. rush Hour news headlines are coming up in just a minute. Including cookie cutters as a bellwether for the world. Fifth graders from Edina sending raspberries to space. And a Wisconsin four-year-old who is out fishing with her dad with an amazing discovery. All of that next on CCO. DeRush our news headlines here on the 20th. Jason DeRusha with you. How about cookie cutters as a cultural bellwether? New York Times with that story today. Ann Clark is the largest cookie cutter manufacturer in the United States just after the 2016 election. They noticed that, the percentage sales of the Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump cookie cutters were roughly aligned with the vote. <laughs> Last spring, guitars and musical note shapes began selling at a rapid clip, just as Taylor Swift was starting her Eras tour. In July, the lipsticks and the convertible cars started going nuts because of Barbie. Pretty interesting stuff. This this uh, Anne Clark is the company that makes the cookie cutters that you find at like Williams Sonoma and a lot of the. They're uh, made in the United States. Most cookie cutters that you order online are made in China, and so they're slower to respond to trends. In Rutland, Virginia, at the factory, they can just kind of create stuff, throw it out in the market, and see what happens. A llama was the big hit in 2019. This year's breakout star is a gnome. The company says it's because of the success of Cottage Core, which is an ethos that embraces rustic living pretty interesting they were going to do research and decide as they expanded overseas like what to create and instead he just released 750 different shapes abroad and saw what worked teddy bears in the uk taught him about the importance of the teddy bears in that culture many britons keep those past childhood geese cookie cutters in germany introduced him to saint martin's day a holiday whose centerpiece is a roast goose Four Edina fifth graders are sending raspberries to space. Star Tribune reporting about the microgravity-based science experiment. A uh, Creek Valley Elementary is part of Edina Schools' Student Space Flight Experiments Program. All of the schools are part of it. So the assistant superintendent goes to Creek Valley for the big announcement. Here, the honorable mentions, and then the winners were from that elementary school. Uh, five, five girls, a team of five girls. Their raspberry seeds are going to space. They wanted to know how raspberry seeds will grow in the microgravity of space compared to their normal germination on Earth. panel of experts selected the project from 35 different student research proposals, as the Star Tribune reports. For the Student Spaceflight Experiment Program. How cool is that? Proposals came from 200 different kids in 5th through 12th grade. And the 5th graders won. I love it. Police will soon be required to release body cam video within 14 days of a deadly incident. Dina Winter and the Minnesota Reformer reporting on this. Minnesota lawmakers made some changes to the law on police body camera videos that were largely overshadowed. I mean, there was so much done by the legislature. All of the things didn't get extensive reporting on. But uh, now if footage, you know, before this law went into effect, police could have just released a snippet of video, not footage of what led up to it. Now they have to show more than that. Uh, and uh, if there's a deadly incident, deadly force is used, Body cam video has to be released no later than 14 days after the incident. Uh, So I think that's good. Uh, Legislators did work with the State Bureau of Criminal Apprehension to figure out how long that wait should be. Washington Post reporting on a Wisconsin four-year-old out fishing with her dad. Henley Wallach had one wish. For the weekend before her fifth birthday, she wanted to swim at Green Island, right near Peshawar, Wisconsin. But on August 13th, she and her father get in a boat, go out to do some fishing, look down in the fish finder, and are like, "Huh, that looks weird." It was a shipwreck. It wasn't marked on the map they've been using for navigation. It was in a well known area, so we figured, well, because so many people are out in this area, it must not be important. But in fact, the Wisconsin Historical Society was sent the coordinates, sent the information. And what Henley Wallach and her dad probably uncovered were the remnants of the George L. Newman, a 122-foot-long ship that was abandoned during the 1871 Peshtigo Fire, one of the deadliest wildfires in U.S. history. Dad and daughter have been exploring the lakes and rivers of the Midwest together from the beginning. Her first boat ride was just two weeks old. Uh, they found uh, a bunch of tires at the bottom of a lake in the Boundary Waters when they are here in Minnesota. They found parts of small boats and ice shacks. But to find this ship is pretty awesome. Washington Post with that story. It's 5.32. That's the D rush hour news headlines. In just a couple minutes after we do traffic and weather together, uh, the editor of Twin Cities Business, Adam Platt, published a letter to the editor or a commentary in the Star Tribune this week that has been lighting up social media, the comment sections. Adam blames everyone for the decline in downtown Minneapolis, and I think he's largely right. We're going to talk about it next here on CCO.
0: No to blame but all of us for fraying
1: our urban fabric. It's a very interesting opinion piece that Adam Platt, Twin Cities business editor, uh, j- joins us in studio to talk about this piece. It's generated a lot of conversation. Adam, it's good to see you. Hey. Uh, the premise here, you described the premise.
3: Well, I just was sort of getting there was a Minneapolis Foundation report about how to fix downtown, and I was just like, "Well, you know, I've been kind of want, thinking of writing something for about a year." And I thought, "Well, maybe now's the time," and I just sort of feel like the lack of a sense of urgency in this community about downtowns is sort of it was just sort of getting to me, and I just was kind of fed up. So I thought I'd take aim at everybody except myself.
1: That's you are you emerge faultless right. in this piece. Uh, uh, you also, I didn't, I didn't, I was not blamed. I've I've been here most days for the last 20 years. So I love this downtown. I know you do too. So I think that is useful for people right. to know. It is sometimes if feels... I love it more
3: than most people. I, and I think you and I have something in common because we're from Chicago. And the difference in Chicago is that downtown Chicago is the center of the universe if you live in the Chicago area. And I think the thing that I've always noticed up here is that... The larger community is not invested in the downtowns. If you're suburban, if you don't come downtown, it doesn't really matter to you. Yes. It could dry up and blow away, and you wouldn't, you know, eh, Southdale's still there.
1: I've always been surprised. In my family that lives in suburban Chicago, like, they don't go downtown that much, but they are Chicagoans. Right. And here, you definitely, we're a very suburban population. I think people forget about that. Yep. Minneapolis is 400. 20,000 people in a metro area of three plus million. So this line uh, I was intrigued by and I'll I'll reverse your is isn't so it makes sense to people. But basically, you you describe Minneapolis downtown as a triangulation between Republicans who hate the city, leftists who see caring about downtown as some sort of sellout to corporate interests and a narrow cadre who recognize their essentiality? What do you mean by that?
3: Well, I just think that the the people who really buy into to the idea that downtown's important, it has to stay vibrant, is just not enough of this overall community, and too much of it is political. Too much of it is rooted in an orthodoxy. So many of us are just so ideological right now, and it's like there are people who I think would like to care down about downtown
1: but they sort of feel like it's just it's wrong for my political identity. And and by th- those people you're referring to, you know, Minneapolis is a range of people who are more centrist democrats to socialist democrats or right. to socialist. Yes. Um but
3: yeah. the suburbs are broader politically and so I'm include you know suburbanites I've sat with suburbanites in bars and restaurants in the suburbs and they talk about downtown. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Now. Come on. When's the last time you were
1: downtown? I'm surprised at the level, uh, and I describe it as sort of a gleeful celebration anytime there's a crime in the city yeah. by a certain element. That's true. Where it reinforces their belief that the city's unsafe. Right. It's not a constructive like, oh, let's do something about crime. Right. It's a dancing on. Uh, there you go. Yeah. We told you. It's very strange to me.
3: Yeah, It is. I I really, I mean, I I don't mean to convey a sense of hopelessness, but I don't. Somebody said to me, you know, you didn't present many solutions. And unfortunately, I don't have solutions to this one.
1: Why do you think and why do you believe that uh, urbanists who want density, who want walkable neighborhoods, who want successful transit, don't talk that much about those sorts of things in the downtown central business district core? I think because of
3: that quote you just gave earlier, which is I think a lot of contemporary urbanism is tied up with leftist politics. And the problem is, is some of the challenge about downtown is public safety. And I don't really think people who view themselves as leftists want to talk about public safety because any solution that involves police or law enforcement to them is counterproductive. I think they recognize that downtown is important. But they don't want to acknowledge people need to feel safe when they're here because then you have to start talking about law enforcement. And so really let's just avoid the topic. It's not that I think they don't care about downtown, but I think it's just too bound up in stuff that is not their political beliefs to talk about, which is the same point I was making about public transit. You know, I think the DFL and the legislature didn't want to see the LRT system turn into a a mess, but – For them to stand up for the right of the working class to use transit in safety and peace meant they had to push back against advocates for the homeless and for other people who were very deeply troubled, and they didn't want to fight with those people. It was just too messy, and it made them look like they weren't democratic enough because that's what you get accused of, and so they just were like, well, we'll just look the other way on this until we get – you know, somebody forces us.
1: Adam Platt has written an article for Twin Cities Business, or for the Star Tribune. He writes and works for Twin Cities Business Magazine. I've had, like, Bill Lindeke on this show, yep. who is for sure an urbanist, for sure an advocate for walkable neighborhoods and mm-hmm. for transit. And he was saying on this show that we need fair enforcement. We need visible law enforcement on the trains because that deters some of this activity that, you know, yeah, you're not going to haul somebody off to the who's gal for shooting up drugs on the train, but you got to send a message that you can't do this. Totally. So there has been some work, and I think, you know, I, I take your comment, you clarify, but the way you're describing this, you're talking more about, like, elected officials are not standing up, leadership not standing up? Or are you talking about the rank-and-file regular folks?
3: Well, when I'm talking about what's happened to the LRT system, that's political. That's fundamentally, I believe, the DFL and the legislature and the Met Council. When I'm talking about urbanists as a group and who are very active on social media and seem to have a disproportionate influence in places like Minneapolis City Hall, I'm not talking about politicians. I'm talking about just kind of Influencers. The regular, yes. Regular smart people who care about the city who
1: I wish would talk more about downtown. There is for sure a movement, and I'm empathetic to the idea. It's the idea that we are stronger as a city of Minneapolis. If you have strong neighborhoods all over the place, and downtown should be just one of those neighborhoods. Why should it be... Why, why should it be more important? Why shouldn't it just be structured? Aside from the fact that there are property tax massive ramifications from that. Right what, right. what is your case as to why downtown should be more the center of attention?
3: Well, and, you know, that's been a thing in Minneapolis for a long time, the neighborhoods. We had special funding for every neighborhood. They got a pot of money that they could spend on themselves. Uh, neighborhood improvement. Right. Fund- Plan, I think it was called. I think I mean, I think downtown is more important. Actually, I don't think it's just another neighborhood. I think it's just what the way cities have been built and become. I mean, I do remember having a conversation years ago with a friend of mine who lived in Las Vegas and his whole take was that what the West has proven is that downtowns don't matter and they should just be left. You know, we shouldn't care so much about.
1: No one really cares about downtown L.A. or downtown Phoenix. Right
3: now in the in the past 20 years, that's really changed. And a lot of those cities have invested in their downtowns. That's kind of what's so frustrating to me is it really seemed like downtowns – our downtowns were approaching a renaissance, especially Minneapolis. Between 2010 and 2015, wow. We had the, – the investment was finally paying off. And then, you know, everything just kind of – the air went out of the balloon.
1: My 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 only quibble with your piece, which I, I, I largely agree, I do think much of Minneapolis has decided, you know – It's the suburbanites who come downtown and work. Uh, We don't need to build a playground for suburbanites. And I have said before that I think many people in Minneapolis actively hate suburbanites. We come in with our cars. They don't like us. Yes. So, all right. That's fine. Um, But if that, if people had acted differently, so if, if safety were prioritized more quickly, Or more action was taken to clean up downtown. I'm not sure it would make a a, a difference anyway with the fact that you have work from home on the rise. And uh, Target and Hennepin County not here at work anyway.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, I think the work from home is the most intractable problem facing downtown right
1: now. And whenever I say it's a problem, people freak out at me. That it's better for their life, it's less commuting, it's less daycare expense, it's, it's yeah, and, better and, that, individual. and that's
3: true, but it's not good for downtown. Right. It, two things can be true. So at once. why
1: should people care about downtown? That's, that's the urbanist question, I think.
3: Well, I just think that communities with a vibrant center city are better. They're more fun to live in. They're more fun to work in. Um, people want to visit them. Tourists want to visit them. If you tell people Minneapolis has a great collection of na- individual neighborhoods, you know, somebody in Nashville, is that going to make them want to come here? No. Tourism lifts downtowns immensely. If we could get some more tourism, it's just a cheap, always been a challenge here. Yeah. That's what Chicago has going for it right now. Chicago's got a lot of work from home. The, the loop, the inner core is pretty dead, but they've still got a lot of conventions and tourists, and that provides an artificial lift to what the community isn't doing itself. And we unfortunately don't have that good fortune.
1: Adam Platt, I appreciate it. We're out of time. Oh, okay. What happens. Sorry. 551. Back in just a minute. I asked Adam if there's one thing he would change to improve downtown to get people to come down here. It's tough. It's a tough answer. My view is this. We have almost no tourism in Minnesota. So if if we collectively care about downtown, we got to care about it. And so it's no one's obligation to care about it. If you want to live in Crystal or New Hope and stay in your community, that's fine. That's fine. But since the corporate and government employers have sort of abandoned the, I mean, everyone's abandoned the five-day-a-week. The Many have chosen not to even do two or three days a week. And so it is hard to have hope. Part of me feels... That I'm glad Adam wrote what he did and there's no solution. And at a certain point, we have to kind of get over it and figure out, okay, what is it? If we're not going to do this, what's next? Is it housing? Is it knocking down some of these skyscrapers? Uh, And putting up parks or something? I don't know. Do we have enough police officers right now to protect parks? If you put a big park on Nicollet Mall, I don't know. These are really tough issues. Um, but I love downtown. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it half empty. I know some people think that's fine, that they don't care about landlords, and I don't care about landlords either. But I think you're all going to care when you get the property tax bill from all the money that these buildings aren't worth anymore. I want to move into the city. Don't make me stay in Maple Grove, people. Don't make me stay out of here. Henry Lake is coming up next. The Lake Show from 6 to 9. I will talk to you tomorrow.